Yeah, Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning. I thank you so much that you are with us, that you love us, that you have great things planned for us. Lord, I really believe this is a, such a significant talk. You know, the topic of, of grace is so important to us. Help me to give and speak in the way that you'd have me speak. Help us to be ready to hear. Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. So, I just want to start this morning with a, a huge thank you. Um, so, um, Tom and Jeff um, had spent quite a lot of time listening to some podcasts, um, reading some books, um, to, and just had this idea of doing a worship series. And so, they've put together this wonderful series. I think it's going to be six talks on our highest priority, which is worship. You know, worship in the vineyard is our highest priority. It's the highest priority of all followers of Jesus, is to be people of worship. So a huge thank you to them. You know, and worship should be something that we do with every breath, as Brian Dawkson said in last week's talk. You know, it's something that should be in everything we do, every heartbeat, we should recognize it's a gift and it's an opportunity to worship. Um, as I said, you know, we've been looking at intimacy in our revived um, services, which has just been so beautifully dovetailing into worship. Last week, we kind of looked at worship in the morning, and then in the evening, we looked at lament, at actually intimacy through lament, through calling out to God in our pain and our grief and our suffering. And it was profound. If you haven't listened to Tom's talk on lament from last week's Revive, I really want to encourage you to listen. It is amazing. And I found it will stay with me last week's two talks for a long time. Tonight is extended worship, so really, again, encourage you to come along to that. You know, and if you have missed any of the talks or you are missing, going to miss some in the future, then can I really encourage you to, to catch up on, on YouTube or on the podcast I do think this series is really key as we start. I'm an ex-teacher, so I always think of September as the start of my year. And um, as we start this year, this term, to start with worship is just a great place to start. So, when I was given the topic of um, purity, pur worship and purity, Purify My Heart was the title of the talk, um, I was asked, I kind of found myself asking a question, how on earth can I speak on this subject? Um, I know how sinful I am. I know the stuff I do when nobody's looking. And, and I created this little tick sheet in my head. Um, and it was like greed, tick. Um, idolatry, tick. Envy, tick. Lust, tick. Anger, tick. Um, so... That was after reflecting on the last hour of my life. Um, no, I, I jest. Not an hour. Just in case you're thinking, who is this person standing on the stage? Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure it's not just me. Well, in fact, what, I've asked Mike to give out um, some surveys that I thought we could do as part of my talk, you know, and then if you just put your name at the top and give them back, that would be great. Okay, Mike looked worried because he thought he hadn't got the surveys, and everybody else is looking worried, thinking, surely not. Um, no, surely not. I am actually 
joking. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know. Um, but I am sure um, I'm not the only one who has this imaginary tick sheet in my head that ticks off the sins and the stuff that we've done wrong. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he once described himself as the worst of sinners. I remember our first ever Meet the Vineyard, which I've just invited you to on the 8th. The first one we ever did was in um, St. James's Park. Um, no Sunderland fans came, <laughs> which was a bit of a lesson in local football politics. Um, one person actually said he'd rather stick needle in the needles in his eyes than actually come to St. James's Park. Um, so there you go. We learned something new. Um, and we shared our vision and values. We talked about the gospel. And we said, come as you are, which is one of the vineyard phrases, come as you are. And um, anyway, after the service, this guy took me to one side. And with all seriousness, and ironically with quite a bit of anger, um, declared, the problem with this church is that you talk too much about grace. I mean, what do you do when a professing Christian complaint against the church is that you talk too much about the grace of God? However, over the years, um, what this guy said out loud, I think is quietly eating away at many Christians' hearts and identity. Because just like when being asked to speak about the topic of purity, it kind of descended me into a wave of, oh no, I'm a sinner, look how bad I am. I think far too many Christians have an unbalanced and unhelpful theology of grace. You know, there are many religions um, around the world that work on a ledger-based system. You know, it's like God has um, a giant sin tick sheet. You know, he actually does have this survey in heaven. And he's sat on his throne uh, and his, um, you know, his glasses are on the end of his nose and he's looking down and, and you know, he's kind of scouring the earth and he's like, oh, right, okay, greed tick, um, envy tick, lust tick. You know, and he's like shaking his head at the world, at us. You know, and that's the way some people see it. You know, that's their faith. You know, they have a God who is constantly marking them on their performance, on the number of things they do wrong. And so that kind of drives them. Well, if we have to balance out, we have to balance the ledger, we have to balance the books. And so they're striving to do all the good they can do, to do as many good things as possible to outweigh the bad things, the sins that they've done, just to try and get God to think that they're okay. The sad reality is that many Christians live under this false and destructive view of their heavenly father. This guy's comments, you know, as we were launching Life Vineyard not 15 years ago, reveals a misguided picture too many Christians and even whole churches live by. I am a sinner. I'm not good enough. I am dirty. God is angry with me. God is disappointed. You know, when I was writing this talk last week, um, that word, disappointed, when I, when I wrote it, it was like a wave of emotion came over me. And, it just, and the Holy Spirit just nudged me to think too many Christians, maybe you're watching online, maybe in our venues, 
Too many Christians think God is perpetually disappointed with them. We're going to come back to that in ministry at the end. You know, if what I'm saying resonates with you, then please listen on. I have some fantastic news to share. See, the truth is God is not scouring the earth looking for our sin, but rather is looking for people to strengthen. God is profoundly encouraging. 2 Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now, I'm always saddened to think that so many Christians, maybe even yourself, live with this wrong picture of their Father in heaven, live with this wrong reality that you are never good enough, that you are never good enough. I think what churches teach can sometimes deepen this wrong belief, this wrong picture of God. You know, we still have people on street corners shouting at passing strangers, saying, you know, God hates sinners. You know, you're, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. You know, this is the message that some people are projecting of God to a passing world. But it made me think, if this is what people are saying to those they don't know, what are they being taught in that church that they belong to? That God is angry. One is not pleased. One is disappointed with you. I wonder if this is why some people opt out of worship services. You know, keep church at an arm's length. Maybe struggle in worship. Struggle with their relationship with Jesus, with intimacy. However, um, there was some research come out today, I thought I'd mention, that 49% of under 55s actually attend a worship service once a month. That might be because they're watching online, but they're attending it. But do you know what? 16% of over 55s attend a worship service every month. I wonder if that's something to do with this pointing finger that they think the church has to offer them. You see, people struggle to believe that Jesus has great things planned for their lives. Struggle to believe that they are loved and welcomed sons and daughters. Struggle to believe that their heavenly father loves them with an everlasting love. And if this is what many Christians believe, why would anyone want to invite Jesus into their life? But the good news is that this is not the gospel. This is not the gospel. This is not the New Testament. This is not our God. You see, I fundamentally disagree with this guy from the very first meeting of of the vineyard, kind of meet the vineyard back in, what, 2006. You see, I don't think we talk enough about grace in the church. I don't think, as Christians, we actually have a full and kind of grounded view of grace, the theology of grace. We need a full a complete theology of grace if we are going to find the life that Jesus promises and learn to worship with freedom and joy. You know, this verse in Romans 3 that I quoted at the start of my talk is a perfect example. If you have been around church for any length of time, you'll have probably heard it quoted. I think I've probably done it in some of my talks, just taken that one verse 
You know, sometimes it's quoted wrongly, but probably often quoted out of context. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, there is a God in heaven who's shaking his head and tutting at us, who thinks we're not good enough. But the thing is, the Apostle Paul is actually teaching about hope, about love, about grace. So shall we read it in context? We have to read the Bible in context. We have to read it all. You know, sometimes we read the Bible in taglines, in bumper stickers, and in tweets, but this is actually what Paul says. But now, apart from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness, righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, the next verse is the key verse. Notice the and. Whenever you see an and or a therefore, it's always good to read on. This is what it says. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And all, everyone who believes in Jesus, is justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Do you see? If we finish for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we're getting the complete wrong end of the stick when it comes to grace. Purity and holiness is not a gateway to God. Purity and righteousness, purity and holiness is a byproduct of grace, is an outworking of grace in our lives. You know, the relationship with God, you know, grace makes that possible. It's all about grace. That is the start. That is how we are able to step into the presence of God. We don't have to be good enough. Isn't that good news? We don't have to be good enough. We simply need to believe in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. You know, Paul uses the word justified. We are justified through faith in Jesus. Um, what does Paul mean by this word justified or justification? Well, strange place to go, but I actually found probably one of the best definitions in the Britannia Encyclopedia. So here we go. Justification is the act by which God moves a willing person from the state of sin, injustice, to the state of grace, justice. The change in a person's condition, moving from a state of sin to a state of righteousness, or especially in Protestantism, if I can say it, the act of acquittal, whereby God gives contrite sinners the status of righteous. I love that word acquittal. I love that word acquittal. It makes me think of those legal dramas. You know, has anybody watched those legal dramas where they go through it all and at the end the judge stands up and says, you are acquitted. Not guilty. You can go free. And that is the reality for all followers of Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage. You are acquitted. You are free. 
your sins are gone. You are right with God. How amazing is that? What good news is that? He doesn't stand in judgment. Rather, through grace, he shows us love and acceptance. That is the reality for those who follow Jesus. For those who put their faith in Jesus, you are acquitted. He is not disappointed with you. He is not angry with you. He's not tutting at you. He's not shaking his head at you. He's not keeping score. You have been made right through Jesus on the cross and the grace that was offered. You know, this is the scandal of the gospel, and it's scandalous to all those who follow religion. It's scandalous. How could you possibly say that God, through dying on the cross, has made a way for you to be completely forgiven? You don't have to do anything. Just say yes to Jesus. That's a scandal. But it's the truth. It's the gospel. We have to do nothing but say yes. Jesus does the rest on the cross. You know, that sin you did on the way to church, last night, last week, even now, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, it's all included in the extravagant grace that Jesus made available on the cross. There really is no condemnation in Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. You know, I can stand up here and give this talk not because I'm a good person or I'm holy, but because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. You know, we come to worship free, acquitted, hopefully overwhelmed with thankfulness, justified, righteous. This grace This is the story of everyone who believes and chooses to follow Jesus. You know, if we truly understand this amazing grace, we would never stop worshipping Jesus. If we truly got what he'd done for us, we would never stop worshipping. If we understood the magnitude of what it cost Jesus, what it cost him on the cross, we would never stop worshipping him. You know, we sometimes sing a song called This Is Our God. And this is how the chorus goes. Your grace is enough, more than I need. And your words I will believe. Do you know, I was thinking about that. How do I feel about your grace is enough, more than I need? Well, it is. It's, it's infinite. Doesn't matter how bad we are. Just think of the criminal on the cross next to Jesus. Tomorrow you'll, with, you'll be with me in paradise. Who knows what he's done? Something pretty horrific to be hung on the cross. He's forgiven. More than we need is the grace of Jesus. And your word I will believe. I wait for you. Draw near to me and your spirit make me new. And that leads me to the, sec- the other side of the coin. Um, that phrase that we have, come as you are. The second part is, but don't stay that way. Don't stay that way. There's another word, justification, and another Christian word is sanctification. And um, let me read you a description that's from my Bible dictionary. It says this, 
Notice in the center of this definition is the word grace again. Let's not lose sight of grace. The process of God's grace by which the believer is separated from sin and becomes dedicated to God's righteousness. That's the process of what we call sanctification, transformation, looking more and more like Jesus every day, if you want a more simplified definition. In the early church, there was a group called the Gnostics. And in a nutshell, and this group believed that their spiritual enlightenment meant that they didn't need to think in terms of sin and repentance. So their physical actions were somehow disconnected from their spiritual beings. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6 addresses this wrong theology. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And you can understand how they think about that, don't they? If it's all grace and we don't have to do anything, then it doesn't matter what we do. But he says this, we are, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You see, the call of grace is to no longer live with sin in our life. Not because sin separates us, not because we need to earn God's approval, but rather as a response. As a result of the amazing grace that we have experienced, we are called to put our sinful life to death and live out righteousness, to imitate Jesus, to be sanctified, to become holy and pure in our words, our deeds, and our thoughts. See, sanctification is a response. It's actually a cooperation with the outworking of grace in our life. We can't change ourselves, but we're given the Holy Spirit to help us be transformed. It's the outworking of the generosity and the grace of God. It is part of our worship. It flows from a grateful and thankful heart because of the grace and mercy that we have been shown by Jesus on the cross. Your grace is enough, more than I need, and your word I will believe. I wait for you, draw near again, and your spirit make me new. And I will fall at your feet. I will fall at your feet, and I will worship you here. When we fully get it, when we fully understand grace and the call to intimate in, imitate Jesus, we can't help but fall on our knees before God. We are being made new. We have the promise of eternal life. We have been justified through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. But we're also being transformed day by day as we choose to surrender and to worship. See, our eternal status is already person of righteousness and holiness. But our day-to-day -day growth in likeness of Jesus and purity of heart is the call of every follower of Jesus. We are called daily to be transformed. So in light of all I've said, and I've actually covered loads of I've probably it's probably worth about 10 talks to talk about um, justification and sanctification. So I probably haven't done it, given it enough credit. But on, in the back of all I've just said, what are, what's three things of the role of worship in our justification and our sanctification? Okay, firstly, we are confronted 
with our sin when we worship. You know, every Sunday morning, evening, both, however often you come on a Sunday, we gather for a worship service. And for me, the best definition of what we do is a worship service. I hope that the main reason you come is not to listen to me, although, you know, that's nice. (laughs) It's not to kind of have coffee and donuts after the service. You come here to worship Jesus. That is why we gather on a Sunday, to worship Jesus. It's all about him. So worship, for me, worship service is the best description of what we do. See, we worship when we sing, and we're going to do that in a few minutes. We worship when we do listen to the word of God being taught. We worship... (laughs) We're back to the kind of banners coming up. Come and get your children. Um, We worship when we serve. You know, there'll be people serving teas and coffees, welcoming you at the door, laying out chairs. That's part of our worship. We worship when we come on a Sunday with a surrendered heart. We come and we put ourselves in the way of Jesus. I can't remember who said that phrase, but it's always stuck with me. When we come on a Sunday to worship, we put ourselves in the way of Jesus. We choose to focus our attention on him. And, you know, our worship services are also times of the prophetic as well. And I'm not just meaning the prophetic in, in a narrow sense of somebody standing up on the stage and giving a prophetic word, an insight from God. The unpacking of Scripture is a, a deeply prophetic act. The Holy Spirit works in your hearts and your minds and reveals new things through the Scriptures, through His truth. When we sing songs, the Holy Spirit highlights certain truths, certain words, and and does a work in our hearts as we do that too. You know, if we place ourselves in the environment of a gathered worship service like this one, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 what will happen. He's predominantly talking to unbelievers in this passage or describing what happens to unbelievers, but there's another word, inquirer. My hope is that whenever we come to a Sunday morning, we are inquirers of the Lord. We want to inquire what he has to say to us. So this is what Paul writes. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, and that could be unpacking the scriptures, it could be sharing words of knowledge, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. You know, when we put ourselves in the way of Jesus, when we choose to be in a a worship service like this, the Holy Spirit moves. You know, a a lot of what the Holy Spirit does is unseen. It's amazing when we see people healed. You know, when we see people, you know, kind of just really encountering the Holy Spirit. But most of it is invisible. It's happening in here. It's happening in here. He's just slowly changing the way we think. He's changing our hearts. He's identifying areas of our life that he wants to bring transformation to. He's revealing the secrets of our hearts. He's shining a light on the bits that he wants to change. You know, I think when we come to a morning like this, not because of religion... That's what we do on a Sunday morning. We go to church. 
but rather as an act of worship. We just open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. And he brings transformation. So firstly, when we come and worship, we are kind of, our sin is revealed. And that's a good thing. But secondly, we are reminded of amazing grace. We are reminded of amazing grace. I've talked a lot about this in this talk. But I don't think we can hear enough about the infinite grace of Jesus. That we can't be reminded enough about what he's done for us. That we're right with God, acquitted, justified. You know, the wonderful, wonderful gospel means that, yes, when we come into the presence of God, the Holy Spirit shows us areas that we need to be transformed in. But he also tells us we are acquitted through the grace of Jesus. And when we gather, my hope is that we are reminded of the grace of Jesus. Now, here at the vineyard, we always want to remember that we are loved sons and daughters, adopted, empowered, blessed, forgiven. We want to sing of the greatness of God. We want to sing of the love of Jesus and the power of the cross and resurrection. We want to teach the truth of the scriptures, always reminding of the grace and mercy of God. When we come into the presence, the Holy Spirit highlights areas of transformation. When we gather together, we're in a place of encouragement, of reminder of the grace and encouragement of transformation. In some worship, we are surrounded by a cacophony of truth and declarations of grace and love. We're not just singing songs to a TV screen. We're singing truths. Somebody once said that our songs are our liturgy in a vineyard church. We maybe don't read out the Nicene Creed, but we sing songs about what we believe. What we sing matters. What we listen to matters. You know, I'll often, during the week, listen to one song, sometimes for five or six times. If I go for a walk with a dog, or I'm just sat in in my office, or, or whatever it is, listening in the car, I might put the same song on over and over and over again. I do enjoy the song, but it's because it's truth. I want it to penetrate to my deepest places. So that truth sticks, and I live under that reality. Because, you know, just like I said, my first thought when I was given the talk about purity and worship, my first thought was, I'm not good enough. How can I possibly teach on this? That's why I listen to worship songs that says, his grace is enough, more than I need. We need to put that on repeat so that when every time we mess up, and we will, we know his grace is enough and he gives us the power to be changed. And that leads me to the third thing. We encounter the power to change when we gather together. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. One of my favorite songs is I Am Not Alone by Carrie Job. Anybody heard that song? Amazing song. That's one I put on repeat sometimes. 
It's a beautiful song because it reminds me that no matter what the life is throwing at me, no matter if I've messed up, no matter if um, I've just gone from some tough times, feel quite alone, I'm never alone. My grace is enough. His grace is enough. He's always with me. You know, whether we worship at home, whether we worship in a service, whether we listen to Apple Music, whatever we do, put a CD on. When we worship, the Holy Spirit brings freedom. Because the Spirit of the Lord is present. Um, I'm going to invite Tim and Paul to come and just, we're going to worship shortly. I really, what can I say about transformation other than invite the Holy Spirit to come? You know, I do believe that if we have come today to worship Jesus, if we've come today to surrender our hearts before our King and our Saviour, if we've come today overwhelmed with gratitude because of the grace of Jesus, what he did on the cross, if we've come today knowing that this, we want to imitate him with every breath that we have, if we're coming with that attitude and that heart, then the Holy Spirit will be moving. We'll be touching your lives. We'll be bringing transformation and change as we sing. So we're going to do that in a moment. But I want to encourage you to stand if you're able. And I'm going to just share some words of knowledge and invite the Holy Spirit to come. And then we'll go into a time of worship. And I really hope if you're at home that you, however you choose to do it, whether you sing or whether you just listen and let the worship just flow over, the, over you, just do the same. Put yourself in a posture of surrender, of invitation to God to come, the Holy Spirit to come. But I want to just return to that word disappointment. I just think it's a lie that too many Christians believe. That God is disappointed with you. That your life isn't good enough. That is not true. So let's start. If that is you, if you are somebody who believes that God is disappointed in you, that your life hasn't matched up to what God expected... Now, I just want you to just listen to what I'm going to pray. And echo it in your hearts. Because God wants that to be dispelled from your life. So, Holy Spirit, would you just come now? And where followers of Jesus, even those that don't know you, believe that you are disappointed with them. Would you, Holy Spirit, come now and just silence that lie that they're believing? Would you silence that lie that you somehow love them less than somebody else? We know that your grace is enough, that your love is more than we could ever need. So silence that lie of disappointment. You are not disappointed. You love us. You love us so much with an overwhelming love. And maybe you're here today or watching online and, and you don't know Jesus. This grace, you, don't, you have not experienced this grace. Well, maybe it's a long time since you've experienced grace. You've fallen into religion. I'm just going to pray um, what we would call a prayer of salvation. I suppose it's an invitation 
It's, it's taking on that grace. And then we're going to worship. Father God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus. This is all it takes to be justified, is to say yes to this and mean it. Father God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus, that he lived a perfect life, that he, he was crucified, that all of our bad stuff, all of our sin was put upon his shoulders. And no matter how much, how bad we feel we've been, whether it's yesterday, today, or tomorrow that we've, we've done stuff wrong, all of it was placed on, the, on his shoulders, on the cross. The price was paid for our wrongdoing, and we were acquitted, set free. So I just, we just say yes to Jesus. We invite him into our lives. We accept that free gift of grace. And we choose to live free. Free from accusation, free from guilt, free from shame. And we choose to live our days trying to follow and imitate the one who has set us free. Amen. And you may have prayed that for the first time. Well, you know, we're so thrilled. We'd love to hear from you and help you take those first steps of following Jesus. You may have prayed that for the first time in a long time. Well, as we worship now, my prayer is that his grace would overwhelm you. That you'll be overwhelmed by grace. So we worship.